Hi there, folks, and welcome to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajima again. Thanks for being with us today. Hope things are fine wherever in the world you might be. Um, here in Japan, all is well, or as well as could be. Um, COVID cases are on a slight decline, at least, about seven or 800 cases per day now, which is less than half of what we had at the peak. So about 63,000 known cases uh, totally nationwide, just over 4,000 cases here in Fukuoka City. Um, companies have been slowly wrapping their heads around the uh, teleworking concept, to some degree at least, so there are more people working from home, uh, which means less of them on public transport and in crowded offices, which is fantastic. And even last week, which was uh, Obon, an annual week-long holiday, during which people normally go and visit their parents or elderly relatives, and that was a bit of a concern not very well handled by the national government here. They didn't actually tell people to stay home during this period. Um, But somehow people seem to have gotten the message and avoided travel. Uh, Japan Rail reported a far lower number of ticket sales in comparison with previous years, which means people did stay home, or at least many of them did. So yeah, with any luck, looks like we're actually um, getting on top of things here, at least for the time being. Okay, so for today's episode, we've got a recording of a conversation that I've had last week with two awesome young guys from the USA. They're both in the Army. One of them is a recent uni graduate. The other is actually a realtor in Hawaii. And they're both connected to Japan. So they've been stationed here in the past. One of them is actually marrying a Japanese national uh, in the near future. And these experiences have led them to the idea of purchasing properties around U.S. bases. As many of you probably know, there are quite a few of those here in Japan. And then leasing them to Army and Navy personnel. And there are uh, plenty of reasons why they want to do that. I'll let them explain it in the video, uh, in the recording itself. So we had a nice long chat about their business plan, uh, the resources, or in many cases, the lack of resources that are available to them as foreigners, and particularly not being able to fluently read, uh, write, or speak Japanese how to research market data, analyze trends, purchase and exit strategies, potential syndication, financing, partnering with local Japanese uh, business partners, and a whole lot more. So really fascinating conversation. Nothing particularly visual there, but if you prefer to actually see our faces as we speak, the video is also available on our YouTube channel, and that'll be in the show notes. So enjoy, and I shall see you again on the other side. Uh, here I'm in California, Ziv. It's uh, 5.57 p.m. Yep. Well, then uh, yeah. focus a little bit later. Yeah, I'm still so, on 9, 9 p.m. Okay. Yeah, so you're in different locations, actually. Where, where are you, Fook? I'm in uh, Indiana. Oh, that's right. Okay. And you're both, um, are you both students, or I saw Indiana Uni some, somewhere there? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I was a student. I, I graduated, like, two months ago getting ready to uh i just commissioned so i'm getting ready to uh go out to japan oh good luck with that they're not letting anyone in at the moment oh yeah yeah but we we on we are military so we on like a different um path we have like sofa uh visa yeah so it's kind of like a little bit like special i think uh michael is going to be there before me actually so yeah the military sent you to uni too did they uh, military didn't send me to uni. I am, uh, I've actually been in the Navy for about, uh, the U.S. Navy for about 10 years now. Right. And, um, I am getting sent to Japan just for, a, like, a change of duty. So, um, the easiest way to describe what I'm doing is, uh, I'm trained as a submarine, uh, communications technician. 
Yep. And uh, I'm, I, tra- I change roles. It's like a special program. I change roles to a, uh, a hovercraft uh, navigator. Uh, it's basically a size of, uh, you could fit maybe six uh, Humvees inside of this hovercraft. The hovercraft comes yep. out of a bigger ship, like a cruise ship size ship, and it delivers the tanks or whatever to the beach, and then it comes back. But that's basically what I do. Oh, nice. How about you? Uh, uh, for me, I'm, I'm a personnel officer, so I'm in charge basically uh, things inside the base. So anything like recreation or like um, daycare or basically anything, um, personnel in charge of like manpower, people, you know, basically like a human resource. That all sounds Manage. way more exciting than uh, what I was doing in the Army. Lucky you. <laughs> well, you're still young, right? Um, you look me. Yeah, yeah you. Yet. No. God, no. <laughs> but thank you, you like for that. Spring chicken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, oh, yeah. so uh, go for it. Let me know when you're recording and we'll get to okay. it. And my name is Fook, by the way. I saw your email. Yeah, yeah, I, I saw, uh, I heard how uh, Michael was addressing you there, so that, that's sort of <laughs> okay. Okay. It's good, he's savvy. <laughs> cool. And we can so, call yeah. you Zip. Uh, yeah, Zip, Zip's okay. the name. Okay. Zip's okay, okay. Uh, yeah, so we can start now. Are, are you recording, Fook? Yep. I'm recording. Okay. Go ahead and start. Um, so yeah, super informal, uh, Ziv. Uh, you know, we're just getting started. This is episode seven, so, you know, don't worry about, uh, making us seem, like, really cool or professional. Uh, we're just mm-hmm. very, very down-to-earth, very regular guys, just trying to learn how it works. And, uh, super, super excited to have you on. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Um, how much, how much time do you have? Is it 30 minutes? Um, I've got about an hour, maybe an hour and a bit if we need to. Okay, awesome. Yeah, let's try to... Uh, we'll, we'll shoot for half an hour, and then if it extends a little bit past that, it looks like we have time. Awesome. Thanks for budgeting that time for us. So, uh, hi, everybody. My name is Mike. Uh, this is Fook. And we are on... Uh, we're on a call with Ziv Nakajima Majin, uh, who's currently, you're in Fukuoka, right, Ziv? Based in Fukuoka, yeah. Based in Fukuoka. And uh, I understand that you help foreigners um, purchase property in Japan. Um, can you explain a little bit more about what you do, Ziv? Yeah, so we're, um, on the purchase side, we're a buyer's agency. So we work with third parties, with the real estate agent, um, with the judicial scriveners, which is the Japanese equivalent of a property lawyer. And we handle everything leading up to the sale. So we research and recommend particular properties based on whichever investor's criteria that happens to be. Um, And then we conduct due diligence on them. We submit offers uh, based on that due diligence. So if we do recommend a deal, but there are some aspects of it that might enable us to negotiate the price down, we try for that. Um, And we then handle everything up to the settlement, put a property manager in place in case there's a tenant in the property or they want to tenant the property. And then we can, depending on whether they're residing in Japan or not, we can also um, take on portfolio management on their behalf. So, again, we'll be working with all the third parties involved. So with building management, the property manager who handles the tenants, insurance company, um, tax authorities to a point. If they need an accountant, then the accountant will take over then. 
um, renovation, repair professionals, whatever needs to be done. Wow, so fully integrated, <laughs> full suite of, of services. I, I did have a question about uh, the due diligence period. So in the U.S., when we're conducting due diligence, that usually means uh, I, I'm a realtor in uh, Hawaii, and so I'm familiar yeah. with the industry. So um, the due diligence period encompasses a home inspection and a title inspection. Is that something that you do? And in your shop, or is that also uh, a contact that you have that you can link us up to? Well, the title inspection and all legal matters inspection will be done by the property lawyer, the judicial scrivener. The property lawyer, okay. Yeah. And awesome. um, the home inspection would depend on whether the property is tenanted or not. In Japan, the um, tenancy laws are quite tenant-oriented. So if there is a tenant in the property, no one's allowed to enter at any point during the tenancy unless the tenant specifically asks them to attend something. Can we ask the tenant to ask us to let us do it? Like we're not allowed to ask the tenant? Um, you are allowed to ask, but it's just not done. And because the Japanese tend to be very um, foreigner shy, stranger shy, basically, um, there's a sure. good chance that the tenant might just freak out and move out if you do that. Wow, really? Yeah. So there's no, you're, if you're buying a tenanted property, uh, it's basically sight unseen in Japan. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. So you're going off. Um, it, it's not a disaster. I mean, for a few aspects. I mean, on, on the one hand, um, obviously, if the tenant just moved in a few months ago, then you'll have some uh, interior pictures and interior uh, report on the status from the property manager who uh, inspected the place and uh, organized the renovation before that particular tenant moved in. And then the rest of it will be based on... Um, tenant requests for maintenance um, or issues that the property manager noted during the tenancy, if, it, if it's a longer tenancy. But generally speaking, Japanese tenants tend to be um, very tidy and docile, um, sure. clean to a point. I mean, some elderly gentlemen living on their own tend to uh, not open the windows a whole lot and... Um, <laughs> They smoke in the apartment, so if, if you've got an elderly male tenant that's lived in there for a good eight, ten years, you're probably looking at a pretty big renovation when they move out. Wow. Um, but in all other cases, they take very good care of the properties. They'd never damage it uh, intentionally. They'd never have squatters or family members or anyone not on the, list, uh, on the lease live in there with them. They don't have um, parties or drug labs or anything of that sort, so it's usually... <laughs> It's it's a lot more uh, it's a lot safer buying sight unseen here than it is in many other countries. You sort of know what to expect if if and when a tenant moves out based on the length of the tenancy, and you're not going to have too many surprises beyond that. Oh, good. Okay. So um, I want to get into more. Uh, I don't I don't want it to be like purely business. I eventually want to learn more about uh, you know how you started the business and how you got to Japan. But uh, I do want to you know take care of your time. So uh, I'll just move down the list of the different questions that we had. Uh, so our first topic was uh, financing in Japan. Um, so our plan um, is to, at a very surface level, purchase property uh, near the military base or somewhere near where a military service member would want to live and rent it out. Like, that's it. Um, there are an infinite amount of variables as to how or if that would work, and I, I think that's what we're trying to figure out here. Um, but our first concern is the financing of the property. Uh, we learned that um, that's actually how me and Food Connected 
is um, there is a special program for service members to purchase property in the U.S. and U.S. territories um, with, with, like, zero money down. It's, like, very cool. Um, but uh, obvious, you know, to some people, but we're not able to do that if we get stationed in another country. We can't just buy another property. Um, and so we started looking into it, and there's actually lots and lots of red tape uh, for service members, in particular, purchasing property in Japan due to, like, you know, some... Uh, I guess, bad deals that happened in the past. Um, so first question for you, Ziv, is uh, are there any other ways to finance or purchase uh, a property um, other than borrowing from a bank in Japan? Other than borrowing from a bank in Japan? Uh, for example, uh, syndication. Is that something that you're familiar with or that you've seen other people do? Syndication meaning uh, pulling money together um, from you know various investors, having a Japanese sponsor, uh, to qualify for the loan, and then uh, basically taking that pool of money as the down payment, purchasing the property. Is that, um, I guess, too long-winded for, uh, for some no, residential purchase? No, no, I get, I get what you're saying. Syndication is not an issue. Syndication is basically an easy process, and mm -hmm. there are even um, Japanese lenders um, that would actually, if you do set up a corporation, regardless of who the partners are in the corporation, would actually lend to you even as a non-resident. Um, if it's a corporation. As, if, if you're incorporated in Japan, yes. Um, okay. As long as it's for long-term residency purposes. Mm -hmm. And they do enforce that by um, one of the loan conditions is that they appoint their own property manager just to make sure that you're not doing anything like Airbnb and stuff like that in it. Mm -hmm. Um, and those particular property managers do tend to have English uh, staff, but whether they will be flexible enough to accommodate your plan to uh, rent it out to um, military service members, that's an issue that you need to take up with them. I'm not sure about that. So they would okay. generally want to um, place the tenants that they know how to look for. They wouldn't necessarily be open to receiving potential tenants from you versus their own channels. Sure. Um, so that's something that can be perceived separately. A aside from those particular lenders, if you're buying single apartments as opposed to buildings or houses, um, there's a Singapore lender that will allow you to um, borrow through them. Um, they've got similar terms on what to do with the property, but I don't think that they enforce it via a property manager or anything of the sort. Okay. They'll allow... They'll lend to corporations. I, I think I'm familiar well, with that. Even to individuals. In their case, even to individuals. Interesting. I thought I you needed we, to be a, a citizen. Um, not for that particular lender. So the lender is called UOB. It's a Singapore lender. I think they're a bank. And they don't mind whether you reside in Singapore or not. They just want you to open a bank account there for servicing the loan, which is Singapore in Singapore is quite easy to do. Okay. Um, the terms, obviously, for all non-resident loans, though, are quite different to the terms that uh, anyone resident in Japan would get. So you're looking at a higher interest rate, somewhere between 3 to 4%, and, and an LTV ratio of somewhere between 60 to 70%. 60 to 70, okay. And so you will that need helps. to put, in, put down 30 to 40%. And... Um, all of the lenders that lend to non-residents are quite stringent with their criteria as far as uh, location of the property is concerned and age of the property. So nothing too old. And used to be central in quite a few major cities. These days, because of the pandemic, it's mostly just in Tokyo. 
Wow, okay. So the military base uh, proximity might not qualify for those loans? It might not. Okay. Yeah. So aside from putting all of that aside, um, syndication, again, is not an issue. It's just a matter of you need to factor in the, uh, the corporate structure upkeep costs every year and see whether it's worth your while, depending on what it is that you're planning to purchase and what sort of income it's going to be generating. Okay. And you so seem to buying, be, sorry, go okay. ahead. Oh, you seem to be very well connected. Would you be able to point us in the direction of someone who could help us out with the corporate structure? Um, we, we can help out with all of that up to the point of actually applying for the loan. So we can put you in touch with the lender, but then they'll need to be, uh, they'll need to be communicating with you directly. Um, the ones that do loan to non-residents or non-resident corporations do have English-speaking staff, so that's not an issue. Okay. Cool. Um, so from that point, approving the actual loan in principle and then per particular property, they'll, you'll have to take it up with them directly. But we'll provide all of the supporting documents on the uh, property side that they'll need. Okay, that's awesome. That's good to know. Um, yeah, so our plan was, the reason why we're focused on the military base, are you familiar with um, the military pay structure for member station in Japan? Uh, the sofas and the allowance and all of that, yeah. Right, so yeah, the allowance is a flat rate, uh, the, up, up to a certain amount, and then um, you don't get to keep anything extra. So what most service members do is they just look at what their maximum allotment is, and then they try to find a place that is going to let them max out. And so in uh, southern Japan, at least, uh, the go-to home is a, a two- or a three-bedroom. This is from the, um, the Japanese property inspector um, who verifies a property is author- who authorizes a property to be rented by service mm-hmm. members. Um, so it's like, yeah, I'm not really sure what uh, everyone is looking for, but in my experience, um, service members are looking for two to three bedroom single family homes with uh, a door wide enough for American furniture. That was exactly what he said. <laughs> um, and he's like, other than that, kitchen cupboards. There's a lot of things <laughs> high enough. Yeah. And so we're thinking, oh, okay. Um, and so we go on. Um, what was the website, Fook? Is it at home, at home.co.jp? We, yeah, we, yep. yeah, we did at home. Sumo is another website. Yep. Yeah, you might so want to check out also uh, Rakumachi. Rakumachi, okay. Yeah. That's a pretty good one as well. And um, I forgot, I can send you a list of a few other uh, MLS websites. Sure, yeah, we've got your email. Thank you. Um, so we, you know, just doing basic uh, Googling and... We took the purchase price and we went to a mortgage calculator and we found some terms with the Japanese bank. But the return on investment, if a service member was paying their maximum uh, allotment compared to what our mortgage payment was, uh, if it was rented out, you know, 12 months out of the year, the returns were like 40%. We're like, why isn't anyone doing this? Like, this is <laughs> this is such a good idea. And then we're looking at like all of these like roadblocks and barriers to entry. Uh, yeah. So, so we, we, we think we're on the right path, but there's a lot of pieces that we're obviously missing. And so, uh, yeah, thanks for joining us. No uh, problem. And just one, I wanted to add one thing. You mentioned something about a Japanese sponsor at some stage. What exactly yes. were you referring to? That? I mean, you can appoint a Japanese company um, CEO representative. Mm-hmm. Um, which might make it easier to get a loan, but then they would have to be co-signatory to the loan. So Exactly. We were looking for a co-signature because this is still for like residential property. Um, yeah. So we're looking for someone to qualify for uh, maybe a larger loan. It might not be yeah. necessary. Uh, I'm 
getting married to a, a Japanese person, a Japanese national, and she makes decent income, so maybe she can be the sponsor. <laughs> in Japan? Decent income in Japan? Yes. Okay. So, I mean, if you partner up with somebody like that, whether it's going to be your wife or just a, a, an actual business partner who's a Japanese resident, hmm. and that becomes much more viable, yeah. And okay, then in that, case, in that case, you might actually be uh, eligible for the local Japanese loans for which the terms are much um, easier and the criteria on the properties is much more flexible. So that, that would improve things a great deal, yeah. Okay, better with a Japanese sponsor, good to know. Okay. Yes, and it's also oh. better if that um, Japanese um, I don't, partner, sponsor, whatever you call it, it's better if they handle all communication with the banks because they do, the ones that are not specifically oriented towards um, foreigners do tend to be um, quite foreigner shy like anyone in Japan. So mm -hmm. it's best if they do all of the communications and shopping around and sort of hide the presence of the foreign partners as much as possible. <laughs> That's good. I'm trying to like push her in that direction. She's a wedding planner by trade, and so she's she understands that like, what we're doing. But she's like, I I just want you to do it. And I was like, I can't just do it. Like my Japanese isn't that great. <laughs> like you have to help. She's like, oh, fine. I'll still think yeah, about you it. Need, um, I mean, look, wives are great for that if they're fully on board. And um, mm. otherwise, you may find that they tend to um, get lost or get cold feet halfway through the process if they're not investment oriented. Because they do need to be. The thing is, in Japan, um, this is like the reason for our entire existence, right? Is that the um, the Japanese need to communicate with Japanese. So there are companies that cater specifically to foreigners, but um, the diversity and existence of these companies, aside from, I mean, even in Tokyo, you've got maybe say twelve real estate agents that can provide services in Japanese, and maybe. Um, four or five property managers that can do the job, and not in Japanese, I mean in English. Okay. Everybody else just does not, they enter freeze mode when a foreigner approaches them. They might not even return emails beyond the first one or two out of politeness and definitely won't be able to speak on the phone. They won't be able to provide documentation and they're really terrified of having, of making mistakes along the way. Um, so they're just, they're really, really foreigner shy here. So, if you want access to the general market, you need either um, fully onboard Japanese partner as part of your company, or at least who's willing to be um, involved 100% all along the way, um, or you hire somebody like us who sort of bridges the gap for both the, um, the foreigners and the Japanese professionals. Okay. Yes, that was. Uh, I've actually had that experience a couple of times in. Uh I found a realtor in Sasebo near the military base, replied to a couple of emails, and then just doesn't reply to anything now. Um, yeah. And then uh, I think I explained in the email, as a realtor in Hawaii, uh, there's lots of Japanese realtors in Hawaii um, that know Japanese realtors in Japan. And even she, you know, the Japanese realtor, she couldn't get anybody to <laughs> respond. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm really glad that you're around. Uh, we'll definitely be in touch. <laughs> No problem. Um, that gives us to, uh, we'll move to market trends. So um, something else that my Japanese realtor friend told me is that um, Japan as a whole doesn't have an MLS. Uh, in America, in the, in the U.S., it's called a multiple listing service. And it's yeah. a, are you familiar? Aggregate database of all the available listings and past historical sales and that sort of thing, yeah? 
Exactly. And then if we don't update it uh, within like a certain time frame, we get it fine. And so like it's always updated. <laughs> um, how it, is a, a regular person like uh, Fook or myself able to understand the housing market without, uh, without something like an MLS? Um, well, the short answer is you have to get in close and have a relationship with Japanese realtors who have access to database. I mean, there are databases out there that are available to realtors um, to a point. So they can see um, past sales and current listings that are aggregated from the various MLS uh, websites um, all over the country. And they also do update the data on their own. But there's nothing, there's nothing like Zillow that's open to the public and provides you with um, information and actually uh, um, correlates all of that information as over periods of time. And there's no brain behind the database. It's just listings, right? So you have to, even the realtors themselves have to browse through them and look for the uh, correct information and then um, sort of edit it and present it to you. And they do. I mean, once you're a relationship in a relationship with them, they will provide that service. Um, but it just building and maintaining these relationships, if you don't have a Japanese on board, again, is a bit difficult. Okay. Um, in the U.S., we're looking at a trend, almost an exodus from the cities to the suburbs. Uh, I think there's a lot of factors. COVID-19 is probably a, a major factor. People just want to uh, be in less uh, close environments. If you're going to be confined someplace on lockdown, would you like a backyard? I mean, like, do you want to like go outside a little bit or do you want to be in a condo? Um, and I think uh, another portion is people just don't want to be in elevators anymore. Uh, so I've noticed a like almost total downturn of the condo market in Hawaii and um, just the opposite of the suburbs in Hawaii. Um, multiple offers. Is there a, a similar phenomenon going on in Japan, exodus of the cities? Because before COVID-19, it was just the opposite. People are migrating to the big cities. The country's population is declining, but the four big cities are actually increasing. Um, so we haven't really seen that much of an exodus yet. I mean, people are saying that they'd like to um, move away from the city if possible, but it hasn't been possible for them. Um, Japan is technically a bit archaic, which is sort of like a contradiction to what most people would expect, but many things here are still done um, via paperwork and faxes in, in many cases, and um, there need to be stamps, like official seals affixed to documents and that sort of thing, and that makes oh, it that very... the Hanko thing? The Hanko, yeah. Okay, yeah. And that makes it very difficult to actually uh, telework. And they're sort of wrapping their heads around the concept now because of the pandemic that they really need to. But that will take a long, long time before it actually becomes anything practical that um, government authorities and companies um, can actually do, especially the smaller and medium-sized companies, which just don't have the budget to, um, to, to invest in the IT required to get over that. And so I don't see the trend that you mentioned is quite correct. People are smaller towns are conglomerating into the bigger metro centers. Um, I don't see that changing. I mean, I wish I'm wrong. About, I, I wish I would be wrong about that. But at the <laughs> moment, I wouldn't see that as something that was going to be changing in the near future. And the general, I mean, families with kids would look to perhaps own a home, but they'd still want a home in the suburbs of the whichever major city it is that they want to commute to. Or at most, maybe in a smaller town that's maybe up to, say, an hour or 45 minutes commute to the major city. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so then not, there's not going to be an exodus back to the countryside sort of thing. That's not really going to happen, I think. Okay. Maybe more removed from the city center, but not, not to the countryside. Not really, no. Okay. But again, look, I could be completely wrong, and Japan might you know, just make a, a 180 kind of turn, and everything will be um, you know, fully online and virtual, and you, the economy will take on. I, just, I honestly don't see that happening just yet. Okay. It's good to know. I, uh, so you're familiar with Sasebo. You're in Kyushu, right? Um, yep. I'm a, I've been to Sasebo once. Uh, we parked there with the Navy for about a month. And it was awesome. It was like my favorite place on earth. And um, just the situation we were in, we didn't have a lot of work to do. And so I got to go back and forth to Fukuoka. And yeah. I really like Fukuoka. Um, Best city in the world, mate. <laughs> that's what I think, right? Best city in the world. And so um, it's, it's, I, I work in Sasebo. Like my future job is in Sasebo. And I was trying to ask my fiance, I was like, is it possible to live in Fukuoka and commute to Sasebo? She's like, no. What? <laughs> That's a she's really like, long commute, though, no? That'll be two, like two, two hours. It's like yeah, two yeah. hours. So she's like, no. She's like, even if you want to do it, I'm going to miss you, so don't do it. <laughs> I can't have you just gone for four hours, five hours a day. <laughs> yeah. I really want to live in Fukuoka. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, that's, that's good. Uh, mm, but that, I mean, look, there are, quite, are you stationed on the base without, uh, you only get back home on the weekends, or how does it work for you? No, no, it was it was a dumb uh, proposal on my part. Uh, I was supposed to be there five days a week. <laughs> I just wanted to see if she'd go for it. She's like, "You're a monster! Don't do that to me." <laughs> um, I think you'll find that the um, uh, Japanese women who tend to marry out of Japan do that because they don't want to have. I mean, in, in Japan, it's pretty common for the husband to be stationed in a different city and mm-hmm. to only see the family on the weekends or maybe once a month or twice a month, even. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is being recorded, right? Your wife's going to listen to that. <laughs> no, so. no, she's not going to She doesn't like that. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> Just kidding. No, so, I mean, no, I mean if, they're, if they're internationally savvy and they're marrying um, foreign, foreign partners, it means that they're not happy with this. Um, I wouldn't suggest that, no. Okay. Got it. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. Um, we we had uh we had talked about a cap rate you and me over email uh so with uh, a database with this you know centralized database you can what we're supposed to do is take a similar property similar size similar age uh if it's a condo similar direction especially in hawaii does it face the ocean does it face the mountain um and then if it's sold within the past six months or so if it's the same area maybe a quarter mile radius um they're going to be similarly priced but uh, you said there's no MLS, but there is a database that a realtor has. Um, is that where the valuation comes from, off like the whatever database each realtor is using? Yeah, so they'll give you they'll give you rough prices on what's been sold and bought um, in the not so distant past. But the thing is, if you're going to be specifically targeting foreigners as tenants, and particularly yes. foreigners that have got a particular allowance that they want to use up. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to find the reason you're seeing 40% is because the rent that your tenants will be paying is nowhere near the rent that a, a typical Japanese person will be paying for that same property. Agreed. They're happy to be paying that. So, I mean, I would be, if you're confident that you can get those kinds of tenants at that level for those properties, I wouldn't worry too much about market prices. Just come in a bit higher and just nab the properties before anybody else does. Oh, that's a good point. Like if the numbers already work, just, just buy it. <laughs> 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's easy. Yeah, I mean, that, bear in mind that Japan, not being a, generally speaking, not being a really capital growth oriented market. I mean, it's been good for the last few years, but that's on the back of two and a half decades of deflation, right? Properties right. are now like what's Tokyo and Osaka have sort of climbed back to where they were pre-bubble, but the rest of the country is still a good 30 to 50% off what it was back in its heyday. Mm. So the, the, the other factors that you want to look at aside from cap rates are very relevant um, um, doing comps and uh, official market evals are very relevant if you're thinking that there's a growth cycle here, right? That's not something that you'd be banking on in Japan. I mean, it'd be great if it happens. It's like icing on the cake, but you're really focused on the cash flow and the rental market. Exactly. And for that purpose, really, I mean, cap rates plus maintenance costs is really all you want to be looking at. We still are worried about the exit strategy, and so we're comfortable with no appreciation, but should we expect the property to be worth much less than we purchased it for? Time frame, five, eight years. Uh, should we expect the property to be worth much less or about the same? That really depends on where you're buying. So if you're in close proximity to a military base, mm-hmm. um, the question would then be what are the market fundamentals for that particular town or city aside from the base, right? So, I mean, the bases are good, but they're not an official part of the industry and the economy. I mean, they're good for um, retail, they're good for tourism, but they're not really an industry that the town town depends on. So if that particular town or city is sort of a, single uh, one-trick pony kind of thing, like they only depend on the military base or they maybe have one other industry, and then I would think that you've got a good chance of seeing price drops when you try to sell the property. Okay. And also, depending on what type of property it is, if it's an older property, um, most Japanese owners, occupiers would probably not want to live in it, so you're going to be dependent on rentals again. Mm. And properties that are... Um, classed in the buyer's mind are classed as strictly investment properties, meaning a buyer wouldn't want to live in them and the people who can rent them are not going to be able to afford to buy them. So strictly investment properties are really priced on the rental income that they can yield. So if the property, I mean, obviously whoever buys it from you is most likely going to be a local Japanese investor. They're not going to be specifically targeting foreign tenants in most cases. So in their mind, when they're buying that property from you, the rent that they can, that the property can command is going to be a fraction of the price, maybe a half or 30% or 60% or what have you. Um, and okay. that's, how, that's how they're going to price their offers. So if you're going for condo units, it's a bit of a different matter because they're the asset class of choice. But for houses in Japan, particularly older structures, it's quite, difficult to find tenants for. You're looking for a family uh, tenant, not for singles or couples, which is the vast majority of the tenant database here, the Mm. tenant base. So you can find a family who will rent a property, um, but it's it's a bit more of a hurdle and it can stand vacant for a lot longer before that actually happens. Okay. Um, And houses also, as opposed to the uh, bigger Condo blocks, the houses are made of wood or steel-framed wood, that sort of thing. They're not going to be brick or concrete or anything of the sort. So the structure is pretty much worthless after uh, 20, 27 years or so. 
So you're okay. really you're really relying hundred percent on the land to retain its price. Okay. And the reason that there are no um, big military bases in big cities, they're always um, sort of on a smaller town that's a bit off the main cities because land there is cheaper to begin with. Mm. So, so, I mean, you're not going to see a, a huge U.S. Um, military base in the center of Tokyo or Fukuoka or Nagoya or what have you, right? It's just they're not there. It's going to be in Yokosuka, a little bit south of Tokyo. It's going to be in Sasebo, a little bit out, like two hours off Fukuoka. Mm-hmm. Um, and so forth. So you need to be careful when you're picking these properties. Um, I would aim towards getting as much of the investment capital as soon as I can via the rental to foreigners rather than depending on getting it back via, say, a resale down the track. Okay. Okay. But I, uh, I look, if you've got capital to deploy, then having a land parcel and build, you know, demolishing the old house, building a new house on top of it, that mm-hmm. changes uh, the dynamics a bit, right? If it's a new house and it's reasonably accessible to the city, then yes, Japanese families would be interested in buying it off you. And then you're looking at owners, occupiers, not investors, and that's a whole different kettle of fish. Okay. Yeah, that's a big, that's a big capital expenditure, but it, if it helps get rid of the property or if it helps you, you know, stay afloat, keeping your margins where they need to be, that, that's a really good idea. And I really like what you said about um, how a local investor would price the property based on what they could get uh, from a local renter. But it, se- and, you know, it seems like common sense like now that you mentioned it, but that's like a huge like, game changer for us. That's, that's awesome. Thank you. No it helps a lot. Um, market trends. So when, um, when I'm looking for market trends, for example, when I'm looking at market trends, for example, if I'm selecting uh, an area to uh, – form a syndication to purchase multifamily properties in, somewhere in the U.S. Um, CBRE, uh, Caldwell Banker, Richard Ellis is a big uh, American firm, uh, yeah. commercial real estate firm. Um, PwC, big accounting firm. Um, yeah. RLCO, RLC, I forget the But there are many publications in, in English that I can read, that Fook and I can read, to figure out where the market is going. Like someone who gets paid a lot of money to only work on this has already done the yeah. research. Uh, yeah. Is there anything similar like that in Japan for the J- Japanese market? Um, yes. So there are a couple of resources that we use to do our annual um, projections and summaries and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, so one is uh, Mitsui Fudosan, which is uh, Japan's biggest or second biggest, I think, um, um, property, uh, property uh, broker, agent, developer. They do a lot of stuff. And I think so they're the biggest. They, uh, so not yeah. to cut you off, but they own a um, a nice hotel in Waikiki. Me and my fiance's favorite hotel <laughs> is yeah. part of the Mitsubishi Sun portfolio. Uh, yeah. Very familiar. Okay. Yeah. So if you uh, search online in English for Mitsui Fudosan annual statistics, you'll find a whole lot of information all about Japan. They don't really parse it or produce a report of it, but the graphs in that particular, um, on that particular website will cover everything that you need to know if you've got the patience and the bandwidth to dive into it. Okay. And it's if you in want, English. It's in English. I mean, they've got a Japanese version, obviously, but the, it is in English. And awesome. um, if you want a more um, executive summary-oriented report that, covers all of Asia, but also digs very specifically into each and every country, including Japan. Um, so the Urban Land Institute, ULI, uh, and PricewaterhouseCoopers, PwC, they put out an annual uh, report called 
current trends in real estate. And there's a version of that report called Current Trends in Real Estate Asia Pacific. Didn't know that. Okay. Good to know. That comes I, out I, I once a year. Yeah. Yes. In January. Okay. Um, and that's like a 50, 60 page report on all Asia Pacific countries. It's very uh, macro in, in, in view. So if you want the actual specific statistics per area and so forth, you go to Mitsui. Mm-hmm. And when you want the, um, the grand picture sort of thing, you go to that report. It's very, it's very comprehensive, but it's very macro. Okay. That's awesome. I think the PwC is, uh, uh, that's my favorite report for the U.S. I didn't realize that there was an Asia report. Um, I definitely didn't know about the Mitsui Fudo-san annual statistics. That's something I've been looking for for a long time. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, how to move and expenses of moving property out in LLC. I understand you're not a CPA, but um, the military has a stipulation. Uh, I'm talking about it with my boss because uh, she's also married to a Japanese national, and she's got the same idea. Um, she might end up being one of our partners. Um, but we're relatively sure the rule is that if you are a service member, you cannot live in the property with the owner and receive your housing stipend, right. uh, which effectively you know, cuts your income by you know, 30%, 40%. So yeah. um, according to the rules, uh, if it's with an LLC, then you're not the owner, right? The LLC is the owner, and then yeah. you've got an executor. Um, do you know, or does your company, or do, are you affiliated with anybody who can help us move the property into an LLC? Is that as simple as just hiring an attorney? It's pretty simple, yeah. I mean, that okay. it's, might be a bit challenging or expensive to find attorneys who can do it in English, but if you want to do it through someone like us as your proxy, that's very easy. Your registration costs are maybe a couple of thousand bucks, depending on the size of the property and the price. Mm-hmm. Um, so somewhere between 1000 to $2,000. Um, but the thing is, again, once you're setting up an LLC, the real thing you want to look at is your um, annual upkeep costs. Okay. So to set up an LLC here, the minimum is usually going to be about 3000 bucks to set up, or two and a half, three, depending on, on uh, where, where you're setting it up. Like in Fukuoka, it's cheaper. In uh, Tokyo, the, just registration taxes can be higher. Mm. Um, and the other thing is that um, you'll need to put in $2,000 a year or so for accounting. Right? Okay. Whereas if you're um, doing your accounting as an individual, if you've got no income, you don't need to do any accounting. If you've got an LLC, you have to, you have to uh, submit a, a proper tax statement. Um, mm-hmm. And if you're going to be renting to yourself sort of thing, then you're obviously going to be generating some taxable income. So your, your tax liabilities uh, start existing sort of thing, and your accounting and bookkeeping costs is something that will be accrued every year. Okay. So you just need to make sure that it's worth it. I, I would think that in your particular case, if you are going to be setting up sort of some sort of company for the purpose of dealing with these kinds of properties, um, it would make it um, probably worthwhile because you're already going to have a company structure in place and then that company can lease it to you personally as well. Okay. Um, so maybe less of a concern in your case, but if you're only doing it for the purpose of um, leasing it out to the one tenant... Just make sure that it's, um, that it's worth it. But look, if you're saying that it saves you 30 or 40% of your income, if you do it that way, that sounds like it's definitely worth it. So. That sounds like it's worth it. The <laughs> yeah. first couple of months, you make it back. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I noticed, and I apologize for this, in, in the email, I think I repeated a few questions. It looks like I covered everything, awesome. um, except for, uh, what's your superpower, Ziv? My superpower? Yeah. <laughs> Business, business-wise, you mean, yeah? Anything. Like me, me flying out the balcony doesn't come. We were talking about something that relates to business, yeah? If you can fly out of the balcony, I, I would love to <laughs> fly out of the balcony. And, and come back from the balcony. That would right. be great. <laughs> Depends how much I'm drinking, but yeah, we'll see. <laughs> um, I don't, I haven't really thought about it. Much. I guess one of our customers like told me a, a couple of years ago that he, he really liked the way I, um, how did he put it? Like I, I can very quickly switch from macro to micro view. Um, mm. And I guess, I guess that comes with my um, previous professional life, like I was a, a project manager for many years before I started dealing in IT. So okay. like this juggling between um, investors or stakeholders or um, sort of high-end professional entities that you have to deal with and then dealing with the really minute stuff like a complaining tenant or um, a broken AC unit or how to best <laughs> save on costs when you're doing um, renovations and that sort of thing. Um, for me, it comes pretty naturally, and I think um, our customers do tend to enjoy that. Oh. That's cool. I know that's definitely a super good superpower. <laughs> not about super, but yeah. That sounds pretty super. I'm thinking like, oh, I don't know if I could. I, I think I could, but I mean, it would be a feat. It would be definitely like an exertion of energy to be yeah. able to just switch back and forth. And then like day to day, and then this is your main profession, right? So mm. all the time. <laughs> I was, uh, Fook and I were talking about our superpowers yesterday. Did you figure out your, your superpower, Fook? Um, mine, mine is kind of like pretty general, but I'll, I'll let you share your first, Michael. Yours seem pretty <laughs> interesting. <laughs> okay, so I think my superpower is my ability to uh, find something that's incorrect or I guess find the flaw in like anything that I <laughs> is sitting in front of me. And... On one end, it can be like very pessimistic. It's just like, oh, Michael, you're never happy. I'm like, well, that's not that's not true. I, mean, I think I'm a happy guy, but um, where I try to use it to my advantage is, of course, in business, where I see a situation, especially if it's like maybe not a good situation, either with tenants or with owners or with clients, and I can find a way to make it better. I can find like the silver lining or the light at the end of the tunnel uh, when maybe nobody else can see it. And I, I think that that's a superpower. It comes, again, like you, Ziv, like it's natural to me, but when I when I do it, you know, it kind of like blows people's minds or it makes them smile. It's really cool. So I, I think that's my superpower. That's yeah. that's risk assessment, man. That that's uh, Investors need that. Awesome. Mm. I hope that the investors are listening. <laughs> <laughs> How about, How about you? Uh, for me... Um, that's for me. When I, uh, I guess this is like everybody, but when I find something that interests me, like, mm. you know, real estate or anything in general, um, I get, you know, kind of super attached to it. I can like do a bunch of research, maybe overnight even, you know? Mm. Yeah. But Very I analytic. think that's just like a lot of people, you know? But for me, I think it's just like hard work is uh, my superpower. You put in the, the work, but do you also get really bored with things really quickly and then switch on to something else? <laughs> I, I, do, I do tend to. I think a lot of like young people tend to do that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Young people like, uh, like, like Ziv, like Ziv and I. Yep. yep. <laughs> Spring chickens. <laughs> Spring chickens. 
Oh, That's awesome. Great. Yeah. Okay. So are you, are you guys going to come back to Sasebo, to Fukuoka? Like, uh, are we going to get together for coffee or lunch or what? I will definitely be to Sasebo. Fuk is going to Okinawa, yeah? Yes. Nice. Eventually, mm-hmm. whenever this is happening. Yeah. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on uh, Okinawa? I think you're more familiar than both of us, Sue. Um, Investment-wise, the main island is about it. Like, that's the only place mm-hmm. where you could actually make an investment work. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it is um, army-based dependent. The rest of the places are gorgeous, but um, not really much economy-wise. Okay. Um, so you sort of, from the main island, you jet off to like a week or so. And uh, I mean, size-wise and uh, tourist-wise, they're also pretty limited. So once they've already got the one or two resorts or what that are built there, there's not much room for any other operators. Mm-hmm. Um, but around the main island, yeah, there's um, plenty of work to be done. The thing is that it's a bit, um, because of the um, military bases there and the fact that it's um, kind of internationally renowned, it's, um, in some areas it's a bit too hot for comfort. I mean, there's not too many deals coming out of there that we see and the ones that do get snatched pretty quickly. Um, mm-hmm. So for us, particularly, um, it's not really a market that's worth focusing our resources on, like uh, research resources and making connections there. It's just not as much happening there in our sphere, which is normal, usually normal Japanese tenants, normal Japanese operators. Mm-hmm. But I think for somebody like you who's um, focusing their attention mainly on those military-based personnel, that's a, it's a fantastic market. But, I mean, there's a few other locations um, um, in Japan as well that would serve equally well, right? Like you mentioned Sasebo, Yokosuka, there's a few other places. Uh, definitely. I mean, I'm not familiar with uh, the other bases. I believe Atsugi is a base, but maybe it's Atsugi an Air Force as well. base. Yeah, that's right. yeah. Atsugi, and so um, yeah, usually when I come, I've been to Japan maybe six or seven times, mm. but I'm usually either too busy to like leave the port <laughs> yeah. just working or um i'm on vacation uh, the couple times i went on vacation it was to osaka and once to okinawa and um yeah i definitely know her I was trying my best to stay as far away from the military base as possible when i'm on vacation right. <laughs> so well, that, I'm that's all going to change if you're going to kick off this business though isn't it oh yes it is uh, just all, all based on the by the way has a really good um there's a group of investors in Yokosuka, people that are actually living and working on the base that are also active in Japanese property investment. And they're, um, they're really good. They, got, um, they answer a lot of questions that people ask on the bigger pockets forums and so forth. And they've invited me um, to have a chat with them uh, once or twice. We're in constant email contact. So pretty savvy people that it might be worth getting in contact with. I can put you in touch with somebody via email if you let me know. That would be great. Uh, I'm letting you know now. I'll let you know over email again. <laughs> Okay. Um, someone we definitely, definitely want to speak with. Awesome. Cool. But uh, awesome, yeah. Uh, do you have any questions for us? Um, no, no. I'm just um, going to be watching closely and uh, looking forward to see you uh, make some bucks, man. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> um, yes, we, we want to help our investors out as much as possible. And you know, we happen to be in Japan. The, uh, the market makes – it made sense, but we knew we were missing pieces. And now that you filled us in, we, we feel a lot more comfortable with uh, moving forward. So thank you for your time. Pleasure. We're always happy to talk shop. And um, even if, you, if your wife ends up being a partner, then we can, I mean, um, if she's more comfortable in Japanese, then she can talk to my wife, my business partner, and she'll be happy to um, share info with her, put her in touch with realtors and so forth.
Um, but if she's not on board and you need a Japanese um, <laughs> face sort of thing, we're always available as well. Got to find someone. But we got you. So thank you so much. Yeah. Pleasure. Have a good day. You too. Thank you. Right. So there you have it. Uh, if you want to get in touch with Fook and Mike, there's a link in this episode show notes to Mike's website as well. You can drop him a line there and they'll get back to you. Honestly, I really like their style and their business plan. I think they'll do really well. So if you are interested in their syndication idea or you want to cooperate with them in any other way, if you're a Japanese resident, this also means that you could all help each other with access to better financing options here in Japan. So double the power to you. Not a bad idea to get in touch with them and see how you can leverage each other's advantages uh, or superpowers, I should call it, like they say. So best of luck and do keep me posted on your progress, guys. I'm really looking forward to checking in with you again in a year or two and see how things are going for you. So that's it from us for today, folks. Do let us know your thoughts in the comment section of wherever you might have found us. We would love to know what you think. And actually, the best way to let us know that is by leaving us a star rating or a short review in the iTunes store. Your word of mouth helps us reach more people and mainly helps more people find us, which can make a difference in their own property journey here in Japan. So thank you for sharing the good word. Hope to have you with us again next time. And until then, from all of us here at NTI, as well as from Mike and Fook back in the States, have a great day or night. Yoroshiku.